Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez, and I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about redistricting. That's the process of redrawing congressional and legislative boundaries in line with last year's census. Joining us is an expert in redistricting. Arizona does this once in a decade process differently from most states. We'll break down how the state's five member panel led by an independent impacts voters and elections for the next 10 years. Here to talk about that with us is Yuri Radensky from the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University. Yuri, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So, Yuri, every 10 years, each state with more than one member in the House of Representatives goes back to the drawing board, literally, to remake the boundaries for their congressional and legislative districts. Why do we do this and why is it a big deal? Well, at the core of our system of democracy are people, and the population changes periodically. And every 10 years, the Census Bureau endeavors to count every single household and every member of every single household across the country. And that gives us a new snapshot of the population as it stands in years ending in zero. And that population is then used to draw new political districts uh, because there's a principle that all districts at all levels of government should have roughly the same number of people. And there's this strict population equality uh, uh, principle, um, though uh, on the congressional side, it's uh, more strict than on the state legislative side where where there is uh, some population deviation that is permissible. But nonetheless, this animates the redistricting cycle. I think of this as maybe the most important story in America that no one cares about. But where the political boundaries are drawn really goes a long way toward determining which party will hold each seat over a decade. People wonder why someone on the far left or the far right keeps getting sent back to Washington every two years. But it seems like it's largely due to who is in what district and what the composition of those boundaries are. Uh, Do you think people understand how significant this process is in sort of uh, putting together the the political uh, forces the way they look? I think people are starting to understand just how important redistricting is to uh, the healthy operation of our legislatures and of Congress. We've seen more people engaged in this redistricting cycle than in years past. And so there's been a a great civic awakening, though, of course, um, we're still not at the point where, uh, say, lawmakers that would gerrymander a uh, congressional map or legislative map face any sort of political consequences for uh, uh, these sorts of democratic abuses. What do you think has prompted this sort of awakening? I think a number of things. People are seeing uh, the disconnect that exists between their interests, their views on policy, what they want to see happening, and and a lack of responsiveness from elected officials. 
I think a lot of our democratic systems have been under stress and strain for one reason or another uh, since the 2016 election. And so that has also uh, created a renewed interest in the way that um, elections operate, in the way that district boundaries get drawn, et cetera. And that's that can be seen with the big pieces of uh, federal democracy reform that are pending in Congress right now. In 2000, Arizona voters passed a ballot initiative to create what is known as the Independent Redistricting Commission. It has two Democrats, it has two Republicans, and one independent member who sits as the chair of the panel. How common are these types of commissions that operate instead of maps drawn up by state lawmakers, for example? The use of redistricting commissions has proliferated in recent decades, but Arizona was uh, a bit of a leader on creating the country's first truly independent commission where the commissioners themselves were first pre-screened before being selected uh, by lawmakers. And that has been a really important development following Arizona's lead, California uh, adopted the second independent commission. And now Michigan and Colorado have also joined Arizona's ranks. What is distinctive about Arizona's specific system? You know, maybe the competition, um, you have, you know, one person sort of overseeing, presiding over the process. Can, can you give us a sense of how we stack up against some of these other commissions? Arizona employs a uh, balanced commission where there are two members that were selected by Democratic legislative leaders, uh, two members that are selected by Republican legislative leaders, and then one member who is a political independent uh, and unaffiliated with either party. Uh, and that has been this, this model where you have a uh, balanced commission plus a tiebreaker is used in, in a number of states, including uh, uh, places like Montana, New Jersey, though those commissions are more political um, because the, the commissioners aren't pre-screened for uh, their uh, political um, to, to, to determine whether they're at truly at arm's length from uh, um, political interests. Um, other commissions and independent commissions that have been set up in more recent years have expanded the pool of independence. Uh, California, uh, Michigan, and Colorado all feature a greater number of unaffiliated independent voters. So not everything um, is hinges on convincing one uh essentially decision maker uh, and and the the um, two caucuses uh, uh, sort of compete for for the favor of the independent member. So that's probably the biggest difference between Arizona's uh, commission model uh, and what some of the other states use. Uh, Arizona also has uh, its own set of criteria that it, that it expects the, the the commission to follow, though. Um, that is often different from from state to state. So I, I don't think that is is say unique 
uh, to Arizona, though it does have, uh, it does instruct the commission to seek out, say, competitive districts whenever possible. Let's talk about the competitiveness uh, aspect for a moment. Uh, it seems like that is one of their uh, important charges as they uh, do their business. What do we know about these types of redistricting schemes as far as creating uh, more competitive districts uh, and, and how they balance this with respecting communities of interest or other considerations that are uh, traditionally a part of this process? Is there any sense that the competition has been enhanced here? Uh, what is the measuring stick for that? And, and has it come at the expense of other important considerations? The way we at the Brennan Center would measure competition is to look to how responsive a map is to uh, shifts in political winds within a particular state. And commissions tend to do a much better job drawing responsive maps. And what I mean by that is as politics change, as election year in, year out, one party uh, has a more compelling message or mobilizes its voters better, um, do districts actually change hands? And do uh, the battlegrounds, uh, the parts of the state where districts are being contested change? And one of the things that we saw last decade is that maps drawn by commissions, maps drawn by courts were far more responsive. If you look at, say, California, uh, there were always districts that were competitive. There were always districts that were in play for both, both parties. Um, in the 2018 wave election, Democrats flipped a lot of seats, including in areas that had been formerly uh, Republican strongholds. When both parties were motivated and both parties turned out in large number in 2020, some of those seats flicked back to, to Republicans. And that is, those are the hallmarks of competitive responsive maps where um, there is always territory for which both parties are, are competing. Is there reliable research or evidence that that demonstrates that this approach works any better than the legislative model used elsewhere? Well, I think the reports that we have done and and the uh, the numbers that, that we've looked at uh, certainly paint a, a compelling picture, of course, that uh, may be a bit um, uh, self-interested self me uh, to, to, to say. But I think one of the things that cannot be overlooked, and, and this doesn't require a study or crunching any numbers or any analysis to determine, is commissions run a far more transparent process. Uh, for better or for worse, the public understands what is happening with redistricting. And sausage making can be ugly. And, and when you look around the country, uh, not all of these commission-based processes are running smoothly. They're not necessarily running as intended or as maybe the, the voters of the state had hoped. But at the very least, the public can see what's happening, can see what's going wrong. And that is important for a number of reasons. One, uh, it allows people to think about ways that systems could potentially be improved moving forward. 
two, uh, it just builds a clear record so that if involvement of courts is necessary, judges will have the benefit of the full facts and and um, not a, an opaque process that occurred largely behind closed doors. Since the last go-round on redistricting, the U.S. Supreme Court has upended the rules for many states, including Arizona, and how they operate under uh, certain guidelines in redrawing boundaries and administer elections. How have the considerations changed for those states, and what does that mean for a state like Arizona specifically? So there were a number of really major changes in the legal landscape as a result of U.S. Supreme Court decisions. The first came in 2013 when the Supreme Court struck down uh, the coverage formula for Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, and, and Section 5 required Arizona and other uh, covered states to submit their district plans to the Department of Justice or to a federal court in D.C. for preclearance, for assessment, to see whether districts uh, gave communities of color uh, sufficient representation or whether um, those states backslid in, in, in the political power that, that uh, communities of color would have. Um, this was a really critical safeguard and, and an important protection for communities of color. And though it uh, was certainly a, an extra step and an extra requirement that, that Arizona had to satisfy, at least last time around, it was a point that rallied the commissioners together, where all five commissioners understood that they had to draw a map that would uh, pass this federal review. And so the commission got off um, all, all the commissioners, regardless of, of party affiliation, were working toward this common goal and, and common purpose. And without that, um, to uh, center the commission, th there are two things that are lost, of course, critical protections, but also uh, this, uh, uh, this, this, this need that can bring um, the commissioners across the political spectrum together. The other big change that happened uh, was the Supreme Court ruling that partisan gerrymandering would not be something that federal courts would consider, at least not without Congress uh, passing uh, some sort of law that, that actually uh, bans the practice. Essentially, the court said that under the U.S. Constitution, federal courts can't get involved in partisan gerrymandering claims. And, and that really gave a, a green light to um, partisan abuses. And, 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 and that is important for a couple of reasons. One, um, the most abuse-prone environment is where redistricting happens under single-party control. So it makes it even more important that there are states like Arizona uh, that have balanced redistricting processes. Two, it, it means it's important for Congress to act. Um, that the, the Supreme Court invited Congress to ensure that these abuses would, would be curbed. 
here in Arizona, we have two predominantly Latino congressional districts, and there's a substantial Native American population here, particularly up north. The current mapmaking process is obviously still in flux, but do you have a sense of how the commission is approaching things this time and what that might mean for, for some of these districts? Well, I think the important thing to remember is that Arizona's communities of color have been growing uh, significantly in, in recent decades. And this latest census showed once again that that a lot of the state's growth is, is being fueled by increases in Latino communities, Asian communities, et cetera. And that's important for, for a number of reasons, um, because representation uh, should ultimately be connected to the population uh, and, and representatives should come um, from communities that, that have sufficient numbers uh, that to, to kind of warrant districts being drawn. Um, but we draw districts once a decade. And, and these communities are going to continue to grow. So I, the, the important thing is for the commission to, one, really take the feedback that they're receiving from these communities to heart when deciding how to configure uh, uh, district boundaries in um, you know, areas with large Native American populations, with significant Latino and Asian populations, and two, the commission should also be thinking about the entire decade because these districts aren't just going to dictate uh, elections in 2022, but there'll be they'll be in place for 2024, 2026, 2028, et cetera. So uh, it's important that the maps that are drawn give communities fair and effective representation for the duration of the whole decade, not just for uh, the the upcoming election. Since the last redistricting, Arizona's moved from a consistently red-leaning state to more of a purple swing state. What are the uh, what is the state of the legal guidelines that control this process in light of where we now stand with the Supreme Court rulings and and the the approach that we use with the redistricting commission? Um, is should people feel confident that there's not going to be forces that push this state deeply into one political corner or another? Well, the hope is that the independent member, um, the commissioner uh, that serves as a tiebreak, um, will be fair-minded and and will recognize the fact that Arizona is now a quintessential purple state. Uh, and that the districts that are drawn need to reflect that. Um, that is what the model is designed designed to do, and and whether uh, that happens or not is is yet to be seen. But um, the hope is is that uh, the independent member serves as as a safeguard. Well, Arizona's commission is made up of five people. How does public participation help shape? the formation of how these lines are drawn, and what's the potential consequence of a lack of participation in this process? The public is really critical in informing in things that aren't necessarily apparent in 
population data. Uh, there is one set of inputs that a redistricting commission gets from the 2020 census and the demographic profile of the state and seeing how the population is distributed, but other factors that really inform uh, what various communities' political needs are and what the common issues and, and common needs that various communities have, the public is really in the best position to uh, provide input uh, with that critical information, because ultimately that's how you create uh, a, a, represent, a representative system uh, with lawmakers that are going to bring uh, key issues uh, to the state legislature and to Congress uh, to make sure the needs of Arizonans are, are addressed. So uh, providing uh, that sort of information, letting the commission know uh, about what um, each community looks like and what each community's needs are is, is absolutely critical. Um, part of the responsibility is on the commission to make sure that this public input process is accessible and making sure that all communities have uh, fair access um, and can provide information. And that, that's both uh, making sure that, that uh, commission meetings occur at times when people can attend. Uh, that means holding some that are uh, outside of business hours. Uh, it means there being uh, language accessibility resources uh, when the commission is engaging with communities where uh, uh, Spanish or some other non-English language is, is uh, uh, dominant. Um, but it, it also means that, that the public uh, actually use the tools that the commission provides. And the Arizona Commission does have a, a portal uh, on the internet where people can uh, submit comments, they can submit um, community of interest information and, and other things. And so it's, it's important that, that people utilize those portals um, that have been made available. Yuri, thank you so much for joining us. Um, where can people find your work? People can go online and go to brennancenter.org. Uh, and we have a wealth of information that breaks down not just redistricting, but a lot of the other uh, issues um, that we work on, including voting uh, and election security and all sorts of other things that may be relevant or of interest to your listeners. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Make sure to tune into next week's episode as we dive more deeply into the maps actually under consideration in Arizona and we explore the potential political consequences. And while we still have you, please, of course, do not forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez, who I'm sad to say is actually leaving us, but she won't go far. She's going to be joining the news side where she'll be covering the Southwest Valley for the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. So look for her work there. 
and look for her as a guest, I'm sure, soon on The Gaggle. Be sure to check out Valley 101, an Arizona Republic and azcentral.com podcast that answers all of your questions about the Valley. From silly to serious, you ask the questions and we find the answers. For The Gaggle, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. We'll see you next week.